Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Um, I'm Heather Burnt Santi, joined today by Richard Cohen. Hello. Hooray, hooray. I don't, we haven't done just a one on one recording in a long time, it doesn't seem like. I don't know. I can't keep track anymore. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we did one recently. I don't know. Okay. I, you know, my, my brain is not what it yes. was. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure it was that back then either. But <laughs> right. exactly. Yesterday in um, the class I was teaching, I completely blanked on something and made the, yes. the student that I was responding to say her whole thing again so I could get it. And I said, I guess I can't blame the chemo anymore. I guess right. this is just my brain. Right. Um, but at Yeah, any rate, I always say, you all don't laugh at me. You, you'll experience this when you're my age. <laughs> Yeah. Oi. Okay. So right. Richard and I are here to yes. talk about. Oh, right. Um, we're being recorded. We're recording things mm-hmm. and other people are listening to us right yes. now. So forgot. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we're going to do another episode about um, teaching college students. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that we've done a few of these and the conversation generally ends up being sort of relevant to anyone who's, you know, listening probably, but um, we are both college, community college instructors, and um, I'm learning a lot, and Richard's been doing it a long time, so uh, we often have things that we feel like other people might be interested in hearing us talk about, um, yeah. or just that we want to talk to each other about, so this is yes, one ma'am. of those, um, and so it's going to start with a bell, bell Hooks quote from the book, um, Yes, Teaching Critical Thinking. You know, when she passed, I was really surprised how many people commented you know because her quotes were everywhere on Facebook for that yes. week or two and how many people that I that I know would comment oh I've never heard of her before I'm gonna oh. have I love this quote I'm gonna have to check her out more and I huh. I was surprised by that so if you yeah, I was surprised by I just figured nobody knew her and so the outpouring really? of love like I was surprised by the opposite oh, like, oh wow yeah. she's really she's known by more than just me yeah oh that is yeah. strange that we had right. such different um reactions responses with that but at any rate she's wonderful and you should read her even if you're not a teacher um this one though is specifically about as it says teaching critical thinking and our quote to start our conversation is engaged pedagogy produces self-directed learners teachers and students who are able to participate fully in the production of ideas as teachers our role is to take our students on the adventure of critical thinking Mm. yes i agree Good work, Bell Hooks. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so let's start. Well, why don't so this really this episode's really stemming from an idea you sent me. So, do you want to start and just kind of talk about what 
what you hope this conversation is or why you wanted to do this critical thinking focus? Sure. Um, I mean, what I'll say is as you were reading her quote and, and what came up for me was, um, you know, of course, yes, that's exactly what I want for my students, just like I want for my three-year-olds. Critical thinking, critical thinking, you go, girl. You know, like, yes, that's what <laughs> yeah. I want. Yeah. But then as you were reading it, I was thinking, wow, when I interviewed for this particular community college teaching job and I took it on and I inherited my syllabi and my course objectives, I, you know, I, I was thinking, wow, what Bell Hooks just wrote is so different than, well, basically anyone who's not a critical thinker who just inherits these documents and says, that's my job. Mm -hmm. They don't even consider critical thinking because the jobs and the systems and the accreditation processes mm -hmm. um, rarely hit on that. You know, you and yep. I have often railed about standardization in early childhood. Yep. And, and now as, we, as we're both teaching higher ed, we, you and I have also railed about standardization <laughs> at the higher ed yes, level. Yes, absolutely. And so what Bell Hooks wrote just in that one quote is so like revolutionary and countercultural because the culture continues to push standardization. And so that got me thinking the other day, which is when I reached out to you. Um, oh, now I've just lost my train of thought. Um, we can wait. <laughs> yeah, could everyone listening just wait silently for a minute? Um, yeah, so the goal, you know, I was thinking the goal of what I'm told is my job is that I'm responsible for making sure that every student who comes through our early childhood education program um, leaves it with an associate's degree and that that degree means the same thing for every student so that any employer out there, oh, they have an associate's degree from Manchester Community College. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a good school. I think that means I could hire this person because that degree means X. Mm -hmm. But if you value what Bell Hooks wrote about in that quote, um, it changes the whole, your whole way of, it changes what you expect and you wish for for your students. Um, that's, I don't know if I'm rambling here, but uniquely different yeah. than that standardized goal mm -hmm. that that piece of paper means the same thing for everyone. If your goal is critical thinking and you have to take each student developmentally wherever they're at and scaffold them to further critical thinking, there's just no way you can guarantee that your diploma means the same thing for every student. <clears throat> right. I was, I was thinking about it this week when I was teaching <clears throat> because I'm teaching a curriculum class um, you know, it's a hundred level, very early kind of class. And I just, I have to say in case any of them are listening, but also I would say this anyway, I am loving this class eight o'clock in the morning and they are such good participants and, and wow. discussers like they're ready. And, uh, the class ends next week and I'm not ready for it to end. Um, Um, so I have, I have two people in, I mean, there's, there's nine people in the class, but there's two who are, have a lot of experience and are already working in the field and coming back to get their degree. And they're being presented with the same information, but they come away when we're discussing with totally different interpretations of it. And right. 
so that I, I thought about that in the context of the texting we had done about this episode and, and what your, what your starting idea was that that's a, this, you know, it's a standard in, in that they are reading the same thing. They're part of the same discussion and they have the same instructor that's standardized, but the ideas that they're taking out of it is not. And, and it just was sort of a, a reminder to me that you just can't say, oh, I've got this degree. So now I am fully qualified and have everything I need to do the work. Um, right. And, and so it just seems like, you know, so futile to put all this work into you know, my accreditation process right now. Hope my peer reviewers aren't listening because they're coming in a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, so just take a moment. Let's, let's just uh, take a moment and tell people what you're talking about. When you say my accreditation, oh, yeah. the, the, the monster that you've been sure. moving through. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm program chair at a community college and, and only full-time faculty. It's a very small program. And um the, I started in June, and uh, that means I came in just at the time that we have to renew our um, institutional accreditation with NACI, the same, you know, the same group that does a lot, most of the um, child care program accreditations right. also right. does this for colleges. And the goal is to make sure that, um, so NACI has identified um, professional development or professional preparation standards, things that everybody needs to be able to do to go out and do the work with young children. And they are essentially now reviewing my program to see if I can prove to them that these are in fact the things that our students are learning. Yes. And so um, we have things like key assessments. We have five assignments that um, each assignment includes intentionally, you know, two or three of those standards and mm -hmm. and so if so now we even go further and we say when the students have done these five assignments that demonstrates that they can do all um you know 20 24 whatever of these standards we think everybody every early childhood professional needs to to be able to do so um you know we we, we submitted paperwork to prove that in the fall and now they're coming to visit our site in a couple of weeks to um you know look around campus and meet with students and meet with my adjuncts and um support programs around you know administrators on campus and and then they'll determine whether whether we are in fact putting out a good product with right. our graduates right and if anyone out there has ever gone through, you know, like as a center director, for example, and has gone through the NAUIC accreditation for early childhood programs, uh, you know what a nightmarish set of hoops you have to jump through, how time consuming and burdensome it is for you and your entire staff. And then at the end of it, you get your whatever, your sticker um, <laughs> saying, yes, we're accredited. Yeah. And if anyone out there is listening also may know, you know, and I know you don't hear this said out loud because people get in trouble when they say it. But I you like say it, it then. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. 
You and I know so many NAEYC accredited early childhood programs that make us cringe yeah. because they are not doing what's best right. for young children. Or cry. I've cried in many accredited <laughs> programs oh, yeah. because of what oh, I yeah. see happening with children. Yep. It hurts our hearts. Yeah. yeah. But then you look at consumers out there, parents, and they see that seal of approval, mm -hmm. just like our diploma. It's supposed to mean we've, we've assessed this institution and yes it meets our highest standards mm -hmm. but it does it doesn't yeah. always yeah and the same is true with addition to everything we have to do to do our jobs we jump through all these hoops um uh in order to, to to prove these things in addition to everything else we have to do for our jobs and at the end of the day it doesn't actually mm -hmm. mean anything yeah and it's it's just infuriates me yeah and um, if i'm honest i can acknowledge to some extent, that it comes from a place of good intention. Absolutely. Right. Um, in the process of standardizing it so that everyone theoretically meets the same line, yeah. it loses its power. Uh -huh. It takes the, the sort of the art and the human component, which is vital to our profession, yeah. both higher ed and, and pro early childhood programmatic, and all that gets lost. Yeah. And it, even the goal of data standard standardized data. Right. And that when you when you create your system with that being your goal, mm -hmm. the, apps, the the biggest value of our field, the, the magic of human connection yeah. um, can't get measured and becomes devalued. Yeah. And I, I even, you know, I, I like the professional preparation standards. I do think that yes. those are things that would be really valuable for people yeah. working with children to have, but I don't think that the ways we try to measure it or teach it um, right. are, are effective at creating that standardized, reliable end product because right. we are humans and because there are so many unmeasurable factors. And I think that's where you know, we can't measure critical thinking, but I can measure whether someone got a good grade on a key assessment that we say connects to the standards. That's measurable. Um, so, you know, that's why we do it. That's why we jump through the hoops. Right. Um, but we have to be, so for the people in those processes, the instructors, the students, the program chairs, whoever, whatever you call it, your department head, all have to have an understanding that it's not only that, and there's so much more that can be gone in. Like, like there are conversations too now with with the folks that I work with about um, maybe all our classes should be standardized, and we should all. So we all have a course outline with the goals that we hope to meet during the during the um, course. And my view is that. I look at those goals and I figure out, okay, how can we, how can we do that in a real way? And in a way that, what did she say? Um, students are able to participate fully in the production of ideas along with me mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of provide space for critical thinking. Um, but another instructor might say, well, we have to, that means we all have to have the same assignments and we all have to have the same go in the same order of rubrics. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's difficult because I just don't right. feel like that's meaningful as meaningful work right. as, um, looking at the process rather than the product. Bingo. 
<laughs> um, and here's so here's how that shows up in in my little world. Mm-hmm. So like you, I work in a very large institution that um, you know. So I'm not knocking my community college because I've worked at many and they're all the same. Right. And every large business in this country is right. the same. It's not. Yeah. I'll say that too. My, my, none of my stuff is about a specific place. It's about the process we've all accepted. The, right. The system so, we've all accepted, I guess. Yeah. So I'm one of the front facing representatives of my massive statewide uh, organization, mm-hmm. which you just, you know, going in that there's going to be bureaucracy, there's going to be toxicity, mm-hmm. there's going to be hierarchy and a lack of understanding about what we at the bottom who are right there with the students do. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of our systems. So it's not unique to my college. So because I value critical thinking, I run my classes in a way where I allow students to interact with a text or a video or a lecture or participate in a project, and then they reflect on it. And as you were saying, they each come away with what's meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they get a good grade. So the people I report to, my deans and the people above them, are able to look and say, oh, Richard's students are getting the right percentage of A's, B's, Mm -hmm. failures, and that must mean the program's good. Mm -hmm. And they don't know that those A's and B's Uh, yeah, they don't know that those A's and B's, what they represent, right? They're, they're overburdened at their level in the system. And mm-hmm. so they just look at all their professors and say, oh, that A in biology must mean the same thing as that A in early childhood education. Mm-hmm. And that A in biology means they memorized all the required facts and were able to repeat them when they're tested. And that's an A. Mm-hmm. But for me, that A means so many different things. If you get a degree in biology, it pretty much means you know the same as someone else with that same degree. Right. Because you were, it was all about quantitative testing. But in our world, it's like a game I have to play. Like, yes, I'll do it. And yes, you can rest easy that my grades are where they are. So you can tell that to your supervisors mm-hmm. and onward up to the state level. But I have to not talk about it because what I know in running my early childhood program is it's uniquely different from many of the other departments at the college. And we mm-hmm. just have to sort of play that game. Yeah. Yeah. But so the other thing that I, that led me to reaching out to you the other day about this topic was this con- very conversation that we were having. I started realizing, I was I, I started reflecting on all of my course objectives in all of our early childhood program courses. And, you know, so there's just a million early childhood course objectives that people need to know in order to get that degree, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, facilitating art, facilitating math, science, language and literacy, understanding child development, working with parents, behavioral guidance, all those things, right? And every one of those has a subset of course objectives. And my goal is to cover each of those objectives by the end of each semester so that by the end of the degree, they've covered all those topics and they're quote unquote, fully knowledgeable to step into the role of a teacher, right? And so I started thinking, you know, when I was a young teacher in the 80s, I'm really glad I had all that and that my college education was structured in that way. Makes sense to me. 
But then I started thinking, okay, but now we live in 2022 and the entire world, the context in which this uh, education takes place is completely different mm -hmm. than where we started. And now I I'm not sure, this was the idea I, I said to you the other day. I'm not sure that our goal should be um, making sure that, that our students have all of these 82 objectives covered in their minds and that their minds are full. It seems to me, the young people that I work with are all for better or for worse tied to their phones, tied to the internet and um, anything they need is at their fingertips. And they're used to living in a world where if I need to know something, I can just look it up and have that information in a minute. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking, well, why is my goal to give them all that information? Why is that the end goal to fill their minds? Maybe my goal is to make sure they know all the resources that are out there, who are the trusted sources, how to find the information they need. You know, like when I was a young teacher, first day of school, the parent came to me and said, my student has um, night terrors. Isn't that what it's called? Uh -huh. And so... Yeah, so I had to go to a library and look that up and get my mind around it and figure out how to support them. I, I don't need to have any student graduate knowing night terrors and what to do about it. Mm -hmm. I need them to know where to look, how to find it, how to analyze what they found. That's what I was know it's valid and then yeah. communicate it to the parents. Yeah. I'm wondering if our goal should even be filling complete information or just giving them the resources they need. And, tr and, and and helping them use their critical skills mm -hmm. to know when and how to find those resources. Yeah. And I, I think that analyzing piece is the piece that we don't, we don't give them enough tools for, and that's, you know, that's right in line with critical thinking because analysis is part of that. But, right. you know, we do have endless information at our fingertips, but some of it is crap. Like, <laughs> I, um, so, so I, I think there's a, a place in this conversation for us introducing some of that knowledge and then playing with it, practicing with it, comparing it to our own experiences and our own opinions and the center we observed in last week or whatever, like, you know, behavior management is a, a an example. And I don't like that phrase, but that's what we call it, Got it. in, in Got our it. court. In, yeah. Yeah. That's what most people would call it. Yep. Um, so they Google something, um, a specific behavior or something. I don't necessarily wanting them just going with the most popular res right. <laughs> result that tops the Google list. Right. I want them to be able to look at that and say, okay, well, I remember when we talked about um, biting in Eckhead 130 or whatever, you know, even if they don't remember the number. Um, and what? how does this kind of line up with what I heard in that discussion. And so, so I think that we do have to present information, but our, our final goal shouldn't just be cramming that in and saying goodbye, like just, right. just presenting it, hoping they can regurgitate it for a grade. And then that's the end. You've got your paper. Right. I mean, especially in 2022, it doesn't make sense. I feel like our big goal in higher education needs to be, you know, rethought, relooked at. Mm-hmm. You know, as I think back to when I was a young teacher in the 80s and 90s, this is just the kind of student I am. I was, well, I was teaching at the time. So mm -hmm. that transformed it all because it wasn't all just abstract 
in a job I was going to do in the future. Right. I was applying it to my job right there every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And so every handout, every thing in a textbook, every whatever I could find, I started creating these massive files, file folders in a filing cabinet in every classroom I had for years. Mm-hmm. So if there was a biting issue, I had articles on biting. Same. There was a, <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. You're, are you like me? Like you had all those? I am. Yes. That's like our dinosaur version of the internet. Yeah. And so, because I didn't have all that information in my head, mm-hmm. I just knew to store it and arrange it so I could get to it quickly and say, oh, parent, you're struggling with potty training. I've got great stuff on it. Hang on. Mm-hmm. Here it yeah. is. And now in 2022, whether I'm talking to a parent or, or a student, whatever, we go back to the internet. Mm-hmm. So doesn't it make sense? But you're, cause you're right. There's a tremendous amount of crap and false information and scary stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it make more sense for you and I to be spending our time helping our students understand who are the trusted sources, yeah. how to tell if a source is trusted, mm-hmm. because the truth of their future is they don't need to have all that in their heads. Mm-hmm. They're going to go look it up on the internet. And what I want them to know is which things should they look right. at and for on the internet. Yeah. That feels like a better goal. Yeah. Than and then it becomes it in their head, you know, then it, 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 then it's in their head. eventually right so they've 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 had to go do their research and analyze it and 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 or uh connect it to a real life situation it's more likely that they're going to remember it then than if i made them read a chapter take a quiz and write a paper about the same topic before it's relevant to them right and doesn't it make sense that um my goal over the next two years is to give you an encyclopedia of information to store in your head versus right which is our higher ed goal yeah versus you're going to encounter these things at different points in your career these different moments these different challenges isn't it better to just um help them understand where to go when those challenges arise Mm -hmm. versus trying to fill it all up in their minds proactively Mm -hmm. yeah and if that's our personal approach we're more likely to teach children in that way too like to see right um, that we don't have to have all the answers. We're not the only ones providing, you know, it's not all about just data input um, with young children. It's, you know, sometimes you don't know and you model how to be curious about it and where to explore and, and what to do. Right. Um, in like response my courses are very purposefully um, experiential mm-hmm. because I have a great background in being a student of experiential learning. And I've just, embraced it now in my mm-hmm. own teaching. And so, mm-hmm. for example, in my language and literacy class, we're talking about um, how students interpret um, words on a page as a beginning reader, right? Mm-hmm. So when they walk in, there's a, there's a sentence written in code on the, on the whiteboard. And I say, okay, you all read what's, on, what's up there. We don't know. Well, okay, you're gonna have to figure that out. And they go through the process of figuring it out and decoding it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't spend time lecturing on the theory of writing development. <laughs> I gave them, and I say to them very purposefully, yeah. this exercise was about empathy. So the next time you're with young children, you'll remember how it feels to see squiggles on a page that you don't understand. And your job is to support them and mm-hmm. facilitate them facilitate them through that process, mm-hmm. like I've just been doing for you. That's I'd rather have them spend that time than having me lecture about the stages of writing development. Right. Now they get that. 
Yeah. But it's yeah. not my goal that they memorize that. Right. Well, I and I would say the students probably enjoy that better than sitting through a lecture from you or watching another PowerPoint from another professor who's just trying to cram every possible thing mm -hmm. in to so that we can kind of feel like, well, they have no excuse for not knowing it because it was all in that PowerPoint. It was right. all in my lecture. Um, and, you, and you know what word you just said that was so meaningful to me? Enjoy. Yeah. Is it because it occurred to me that we have you and I have so many conversations as it relates to early childhood programs about play mm -hmm. and how the rest of the world put puts that word just in front of it. Well, it's just play mm -hmm. that can't be valuable. And in higher ed, if 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 my dean were to hear you say what you just said, she'd be like, our goal is not enjoyment. We're not here to entertain <laughs> them. But what you and I know that enjoyment, what you and I know is that enjoyment is code for the uh, side of their brain that handles affect yeah. um, and that when that side of a brain of a two-year-old or a 22-year-old is activated along with the other side that's there to take in information, mm -hmm. retain it, comprehend it, it's more likely to be, right. become meaningful yeah. and useful and replicable later. Yeah. So that enjoyment piece isn't just a simple warm and fuzzy from a neurological standpoint, enjoyment is, is critically important right. to learning. Really just, I mean, any emotion, if we can attach, if we can, yep. if we can engage an emotional response at the same time that we're playing with a new idea or introducing a new idea or reflecting on something we we've already talked about, it's mm -hmm. more likely for a connection to be formed, like a meaningful lasting connection to be formed. Even, yep. and so that, like, like I've had to think about that because I don't, I don't want any conflict when my students are discussing, or I don't want a student to feel like I'm saying um, everything you do is wrong, blah, blah, blah. But then I have to remind myself that's how, you, <laughs> that's how it works. Sometimes yeah. it's, it's a little bit of anger or a little bit of um, even grief about a, pro, a, a practice yep. you're really attached to being yep. challenged. And that has that same potential for connection as if they're feeling really happy and enjoying what they're, what right. we're all discussing. Yep. And I also think as it relates to conflict, I don't seek it out, Yeah. but I definitely create situations that I know it's, it's quite possible that conflicts will arise. Mm -hmm. And I do that. And I tell my students that I do that because when they get out there in the real world, they're going to encounter conflicts. And I'd rather give you practice um, navigating a conflict here in a safe space with me helping facilitate so that you have some experience of it before you get out there in the world and you will absolutely encounter conflicts. Mm -hmm. Let's practice it here. So Belle has a quote for that too. Let's hear it. Critical oh, thinking book. She has a whole chapter on conflict. Um, I just read this one last night in the tub, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, but she said, instead of focusing on the commonly held assumption that we're safe when everyone agrees, when everyone has equal time to speak, if we rather think of safety as knowing how to cope in situations of risk, then we open up the possibility that we can be safe even in situations where there's disagreement. Yep. So, you know, I, I think a lot, and we've talked about emotional safety and students needing to be, to feel safe, to be able to really engage in learning. Mm -hmm. And it was pushing me too far to the, well, then I need to avoid conflict instead of, you know, this perspective that, well, this is a safe place to practice being in conflict and That's moving right. through conflict, um, which is going to be much more useful in the real world, even in their, you know, their job with children than mm -hmm. this idea that um, we should all just always agree and 
um, be pleasant and right whatever wherever that takes. Because if that's your goal, you get those early childhood preschool teachers who are hello my friends how are you my friends we're yes. all friends yeah you don't yeah treat your friends like that that's right yeah oh you made your friend, your friend unhappy <laughs> right my job is to make sure the children are all happy yeah and that comes from a really good place mm -hmm. let's just remind you know Absolutely. and i love the people who do that but it's also um it's it's miss guided mm -hmm. uh in understanding what young children really need right. which is I've been on the planet a thousand days and I'm just trying to make sense of this world and this world isn't just all happy. Yeah. So help me figure it out. Yeah. Or what's wrong with me if I don't feel as happy as you always present yourself. Right. right. And yeah. what I don't understand why you keep saying they're my friend and I hate them. Right. I don't ever want to play with that them. out, you know, but going yes. back to that second bell hooks yeah. quote, what came up for me as you were reading it, one word in particular stood out. You said toward the end that the goal was knowing how to cope mm -hmm. with coming challenges or events, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what what popped up for me as a higher ed professional is that word knowing. So if my goal is to make sure that they know the eight steps to diaper changing, all right, so knowing is uses this side of their brain for memorization. And I kind of do need to test them on that to make sure they remember the steps in the right order. I'll probably make it experiential with a doll and we'll do it. Mm -hmm. But if my goal is knowing how to cope with future conflicts, that knowing isn't about memorizing. It's about learning that I'm competent and capable and I can trust my judgment in a moment mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I know how to calm myself down and think clearly. Like that's what knowing looks like in that really abstract mm -hmm. goal. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I agree. And that's our job as higher ed pros is knowing, is knowledge. Right. But um, we can't just have it show up as standardized information that people are tested on. Yeah. It doesn't work out there then in the world. Yeah. Or that that piece of paper is proof of professionalism. I mean, I know that's why there's such a push lately and and i'm i'm all i mean i'm a teacher i'm all for <laughs> people getting experience and and exposure to right. you know experts and thinking about skills you need and whatever but um oh it's my turn to forget where i was going <laughs> oh professionalism do, 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 in, do. yeah <laughs> in my mind i would much prefer and maybe it's just because I did this backwards and worked a long time before I went to college for, for any of this. Um, professionalism is about um, being, being thoughtful about what you're doing and being really intentional about connecting expertise, practice, uh, skill, skill that we heard or learned about into the real world and really doing those things with children and having all of our decisions informed as much as possible by um, that knowledge and that expertise mm -hmm. and um, and that and not just saying well I was able to jump through all the hoops to get this right. piece of paper therefore I am professional but my practice is going to be you know I'm going to go in and try and create my third grade classroom for this group of two-year-olds <laughs> right <laughs> and recreate the environment as I remember my third grade class being yes which is what happens. And I would add to your, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just said that's what happens a lot of times, I think. 
Mm. Big, Absolutely, it yeah. does. Yep. Yeah. And I would add, to, I think your definition of professionalism is spot on. <laughs> and I would maybe like add a sentence. It could perhaps be more eloquent. <laughs> oh, it was, it was very articulate. Okay. That a lot. Um, but I would just add that in our unique field, not for every field necessarily, but for our unique field, the other piece of professionalism uh, has to be um, knowing how to express your unique version of humanity mm. at your job. Uh, and knowing where your boundaries are, mm-hmm. so that you can be a human being for children and families and your coworkers and your boss, but also knowing um, how to how to set boundaries around that as a professional. Mm-hmm. Like in our field, that's a it won't work unless you also have that. I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so an example that comes to mind for me, and I, maybe this is what you're you're thinking or not, but so this came up yesterday when I recorded with Lisa and, um, you know, comes again from a class I was teaching, but, um, so something as simple as like, I remember, um, when I was first starting to work with children and I was so excited about the lesson plan and I know the, the process of lesson planning and spending my weekends doing all this stuff. I know now that that was more about my personality liking notebooks and liking office supplies and liking, Mm -hmm. you know, at that time to color. And, um, I loved the little lesson plan notebook I bought at the teacher supply store. Um, but, but now I know that those things don't translate into being a, an effective, good, um, responsive teacher of young children. Um, so that even something as simple as that can be a a boundary that establishes, your professionalism. Like I understand that this is my personality, that I love bulletin boards, but I also understand that there's reasons that we maybe don't need to have elaborate bulletin boards all over our classrooms. And that's sort of uh, a really simple sort of everyday example of how I think, how I think what I thought when you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Perfect example. Yeah. You know, another more sort of provocative example Mm -hmm. is Um, I'm able to know, you know, self-knowing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm able to know that I was hurt very badly by a man when I was a child. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to see that that um, impacts the way I interact with dads in my classroom. mm -hmm. And I'm able to notice that and, and, you know, figure out now how I need to address that personally. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's part of being an effective professional in our particular Mm -hmm. field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. you don't learn that in college. Right. That's not a course objective anywhere. <laughs> and that's troublesome to me. Right. Yeah. I, I would say we learn very little in college about real parent family relationship. Right. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of another related topic we've talked about before, which is so we're, we're charged with running an early childhood program mm-hmm. is our job. And, and my boss would say, to the two choices I'm about to give you. Absolutely, your job is number one. Um, is our job, number one, to teach these students best practices so that they go out into the world knowing exactly what's best for young children? Mm-hmm. Or two, is it to prepare them for the real world and real preschools and childcare centers and programs out there that look nothing like best practices yeah. and how to navigate that? Can it be both? And, well, exactly. I think our job okay, has good. to be both. <laughs> And that's a really complex thing to do in our yeah, roles. Absolutely. Yeah. I think just do best practices every class period before I say, and, and often 
multiple times during a conversation, I find myself filtering what I'm about to say through the reality that this is not what they've seen or are going to see when they go out. And what do I need to do about that? And it's exhausting some days. So my way of doing that is at the beginning of the semester, I ask, so who's currently working with groups of young children or has Mm -hmm. in the past? Raise Mm -hmm. your hand. And I write down all those names. So I know my subset that can, that has that to speak to. So when I, when we approach that topic and I say, this is what it should look like, you know, this is what we consider it best, best practice. Now, by the way, um, Alexandra, is that what it looks like in your center? Um, what I just, all I'm right out. Okay. Well, I tell them at the beginning of the semester, now I am going to call on you to speak about your real program. If you don't want to, you're always free to say no, but you're the perfect person to say what it really looks yeah. like out there in the world because I haven't been out there in a long time mm-hmm. so I'll say here's what's best and now hey for those of you working with young children is that what it looks like where you work and they'll say no not at all okay so how do you handle that mm-hmm. and to me that's a valuable conversation right absolutely yep I agree with that I want to I want to start doing that <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's awesome it's a really I useful think. way of, of approaching it yeah I feel like this, I see the students, uh, you see those light bulb moments that I used Mm -hmm. to see with three-year-olds and you see them connecting with each other. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a reminder. I think one of the big unspoken uh, principles that I always try to communicate to my students is being a teacher can often be, being an early childhood teacher can often be really isolating. Yeah. And so learn how to network. You just heard this other teacher say something really wise if I were you right now, I'm not telling you to do this, but <laughs> I'd get her phone number and ask, can I call you if I have questions? Uh-huh. And when I was a young teacher, one of the reasons I was successful was because I knew my mentors, I knew my resources, and anytime I was stumped, I called them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'd rather have them learn that wisdom than the eight steps of diaper changing. Yep. Absolutely. I am. Um... Uh, last fall started this and then, you know, last fall got away from me and I didn't do all of my, my things that I intended to I do. I wonder why. <laughs> but I had, um, I had a group of not, not necessarily people in the class. That's, uh, but um, like my early childhood friends that I knew were in programs that are like what I'm talking about. And I, um, I had, so I had volunteers and I was going to assign each of my students to one of those volunteers that they, mm. they didn't have to do anything with them, but, but they could just reach out, you know, it was really informal, but they'd have someone who, um, you know, cause they're always really interested. This was an intro class. They're always really interested in the nature preschools, but they have 700 reasons why it would never work. Exactly. Yes. Call Tiffany. She will talk to you forever about yes. this. She, what a gift that you, what a gift you navigated doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it didn't, um, it didn't get off the ground. I don't know that many of them took, but I'm going to try it again this summer when I do the yeah. intro class again. And, and it's um, one of those things that may pay off long after they've left us. Yeah. Yeah. We may not see the results, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just like early childhood. Yeah. It, it, but I feel like to go back to the idea of critical thinking that, that has sort of been woven through all of this, giving them or helping them see those relationships as another way to process, you know, we, um, uh, there's a, what is it? Critical friends, finding critical friends, not friends who criticize you, but friends who will help you when you're talking about your idea. And maybe, and this um, isn't really uncomfortable for me to be 
on the receiving end of a critical friendship, but who might Wait, just what? say, what was it? Why was it uncomfortable? Um, because I want to be perfect all the time. Oh, and so relate to that. Okay. To, so someone saying, Ooh, but have you thought about this or, mm-hmm. um, or, or what I'm, what I'm hearing is, you know, maybe not, I don't know, you know, that just that anti cheerleader, but in a kind way, <laughs> like not just a friend who's going to be a yes man. Um, but someone who will say, uh, I don't know if that's, you know, how I would do it, or I don't know if that's, um, how it would really work Mm -hmm. out. Let's talk about it some more, or have you thought about this element? Um, I'll tell you my version of that. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no. I was sort of realizing I wasn't going anywhere. So please, (laughs) please I I thought you were, but okay. Um, you know, I, I, I like to look perfect too, <laughs> uh, you know, and I can be honest about right, that. Right. And so I think looking back on myself as a young teacher, how that worked was um, I, people were like, wow, Richard knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he really, he's, he's got a lot of information in his head and he seems to know. Mm-hmm. And there was a part of my ego that loved that. Right. But the way I got to that was by being willing to look like I don't know something in front of my mentors. Mm. so that I could come back to work and say, here's what I know. So anytime I had a challenge and I was just so blessed, so blessed. Anytime I had a challenge, I called Bev boss. Oh, wow. Um, day or night. Yeah. Right? And I would say, I don't understand what is happening with this parent in my class, or I can't figure out what's going on with this kid. And she would say, well, what if you thought about it this way? What if mm-hmm. you did this? And then I'd go back and do it. And then I'd get all the praise yeah. <laughs> and look good. But it's because yeah. I was willing to not look good in front of Bev yeah. and be humble and vulnerable with her and gain and be really open to not so set on my self-righteous, I'm right about it oh. when I'm with her I was, privately. I was very much invested in my self-righteousness <laughs> in my yeah, early, absolutely. a lot of my career. And it was actually really isolating. And I then it was, you know, hard to find those relationships that would feed me or challenge me or I don't know and the truth is it's just really human we think we're the only one and so it becomes a deep dark secret but the truth is most everybody's going through the same thing we just don't talk about it yep yeah um I have no idea how long we've been recording but it seems like maybe more than an hour (laughs) is this like a mini series well I say let's do another hour then let's keep going um, okay, well, I'm going to end this conversation. And if you want to, we can start right. recording another one when, as soon as so I can release it as All two, because right. I um, don't edit as everyone knows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we've frozen several times in this conversation and I have sort of paused and restarted. Um, but I'm thinking now about the video, like I don't, I'm not going to go in and clip out all those weird spots where I paused and waited for it to unfreeze. <laughs> If you, if you edit it out every time we paused, this podcast would be down to like five minutes. Right. That's true. So maybe we've been talking for five minutes and we've been right. frozen for, right. for an hour. Okay. No, this was great. And I, I really um, feel like we could keep going, but I'm not sure people are going to yeah. keep listening is what I'm saying. Yeah, I so. agree. I felt really jazzed by this conversation. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yay. Okay. And let me just say to the people out there, find someone to have a conversation like this with, Mm -hmm. because this is what rejuvenates me. Yeah. Keeps me going and keeps me learning and expanding my knowledge by just having a conversation like this with someone Mm -hmm. like Heather. 
So go have that experience for yourself because it's so valuable. Yeah. Sometimes I have a podcast idea and it's because I know I can say really smart things about it. So I want to use that topic, but sometimes it's like, I just need to hear what other people think about this topic. And um, this was definitely one of those where I just, um, just wanted to sort of have a partner in fleshing out an idea. Me? Who? You. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When I I bring myself down from my lofty position (laughs) on top of the nerd mountain. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Richard. This was great. Um, I really mean it. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And um, I'm sure we'll, we'll be back with more of this kind of stuff. Goodbye. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.